Welcome to your typical Shono protagonist. He's Kai, I'm Kells, and today we're talking about Cross Ange, Rondo of Angel and Dragon. First off, Kai, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Like I just noticed, like, I'm pretty sure Rondo might be like song because Rondo of Angel and Dragon is like on a musical staff. Um, yes, it's a musical form with a recurring leading theme, often found in the final movement of a sonata or a concerto. The series is a 10 out of 10, bro. Boom. So, we're talking about Cross Ange, and oh my god. Uh, let Here's some words that describe Cross Ange, Rondo of Angel and Dragon, okay? Um, giant Robots. Fan service, dragons, political drama, scantily clad girls driving motorcycle themed mechanical suits, uh, racism, genocide, <laughs> uh, genetic enhancement, LGBTQ plus. <laughs> yes, yes, everybody that's on a team is represented in this show. Yes. Oh, cross on, man. All right. How do you feel about it from the jump? <laughs> from the jump, man, I, I love it. Uh, I would definitely recommend if something like if you, okay, I wouldn't recommend this to everybody. Like there's like the people on our other podcasts, I probably would not recommend this to them. But if you love like weird shit, if you love like stuff that's kind of a whole like vibe, or some of the, like, Gynax stuff, some of the, like, kind of stuff that's kind of out there. I definitely put this in your repertoire of just, why am I watching this slash, like, can I watch more of it? Like, that is the go-to of this. Like, yeah, I recommend this. Yeah, I agree. It's just so, it it gets progressively more off the rails as we go. And it's like, Every fourth or fifth episode, we're like, oh, so this is what it's really about. And then four or five more episodes go on. You're like, wow, so this is what it's really about. Mm -hmm. And at the end, you're like, man, what the fuck is this show about? <laughs> it is, man. It's, it's a whole ride. And what I love about this show is that you really don't figure out what it's about until the end. So I'm like, hell yeah. Like, let's let's go. Like, it is a whole... Uh, journey and it's like it's one of those shows where it's like I feel like you don't get a good like outline of what it is like I said until you see the end of it but when you see the end of it it's like okay like now it kind of still doesn't make sense but I'm here so yeah it's it's definitely a mind fuck but like uh, an enjoyable one yeah so, spoiler-free review, if it's in your vibe, you like mech stuff, if you like fan service, and if you like things that get weird, this is a show for you. Yes. Holy recommend if that's your vibe. Yes. 100%. So, let's, let's talk about the premise, right? Hit me, hit me with the basic overview. Well, what's the plot about? So, it follows our main character, Annalise who is betrayed and stripped of her birthright and declared less than a human because she's the princess of this kingdom 
but this kingdom is kind of like a hierarchy caste system of people who can use magic and this power, and she actually cannot use that power, but it's been a masquerade her whole life by the parents, like her parents, the king and queen of the nation, that she can use it because it's a, you're sentenced to death if you cannot use this form of magic and energy because you're considered to be a lesser creature. But then we find out you're not actually sentenced to death. You're basically showed up as a slave soldier and have to basically defend the kingdom from these monsters and interdimensional demons that are coming through. So this is the story of our main character, Angeline. Angeline's like navigating through these demonic draconic invaders and defending like the people that kind of outcast her and kind of find a way to survive in going against her nature is basically a fall from grace story that we enjoy like through so many other avenues. Like, you know, it's, I would say it's a lot different than the kind of like chosen one story because it is kind of a chosen one story, but it's also like a, you know, fall from grace and kind of build your way back up type. Just like S.H.I.E.L.D. hero. <laughs> Except less hot. <laughs> Maybe not quite like S.H.I.E.L.D. hero, but... Uh, okay, yes. Like, um, I can see that, though. I can see the comparisons to S.H.I.E.L.D. hero, like, easily. In terms of, like, like that attitude you gotta have to survive. Like, she definitely has a Nafumi vibe, I would say, but not an yeah. overall S.H.I.E.L.D. hero type of vibe. Not not the plot that got him to the bottom. No. Yeah. Um, but the, the rise and, and, and survival and growth. Uh I yeah, definitely. Um, man, yeah. So Pretty Princess. We it, we open episode one where we're getting a backstory and we're getting a fun kind of slice of life in you know, introduction where uh Princess Angelise is out there playing a sport and you know it it's her her uh, christening day or yeah. her uh, her baptismal day where they are like all right we're gonna put you in this box and you're gonna do magic and then you're gonna be one of us hooray um and we really get an introduction to the the royal family vibe and the society vibe and in a real introduction into the norma the the people who are not able to use magic, who are treated as uh, inhuman. They are not people. They are antisocial beasts who need to be contained before their influence spreads. And and this is often happening to children. They they get picked up at at four or five or seven or ten and taken away from their families. And they're told by the government that no, this is for everyone's well-being. They're not human. You have to let go. You can have a new one like a good citizen would. Yeah, and it's kind of wild because that is like, like you said, um, you know, this is practice, this is norm, but we see that our main character actually partakes in this in the first episode. So it's kind of that contrast of showing how even you thought this was like kind of right, you know, and... I feel like um, there's definitely a comparison to characters. Um, kind of like you said, like from Shield Hero, when I think about it more so, um, like a Shield Hero type, a Black Lagoon. You've watched Black Lagoon, right? Nope. Oh, wow. We got to put that on the list then. Um, then I would, I would really just say like 
you know, Shield Hero is a good example with Nafumi, where he's betrayed by mine. Spoilers. Um, and then even you know, like Berserk, you know, where Guts is betrayed by um, Griffith, not to the level. What? I mean, all I would say almost <laughs> even to the level Angelis is betrayed. But um, yeah, on on a, on a one, like a personal level, on on a one on one level. Like Angelese's story is is a story of betrayal and revenge and personal growth. Yeah. Uh, you know, finding you know finding out that being labeled a normu, a normu, a norma, uh, is possibly the worst thing in society that could ever happen to you. But it's not the end of your life. Yeah. It's not the and it and everyone you assumed was your friend was just full of shit. And it takes the the struggle and peril of having to live with the Norma and having to be a, a pilot and and fight the dragons and have that camaraderie of of life and death every day uh, to really find true friendship and whatnot. And the thing that also makes it harder on Angelese is that she does not have that camaraderie. She is already cast out by the other Norma. So, like, in terms of, like, total isolation, she's almost completely alone because she's, um, again, getting a spoiler territory. So if you haven't watched it, definitely go watch it before you go any further. Um, her parents are murdered off of it, like, first episode by her douchebag brother um, because she is a Norma. And it's so toxic. Like, even the, you know, penalty for aiding a Norma is death. And then you see in the layers of the brothers kind of being manipulated by this whole thing that's going, but we'll get into that a little later. Um, <laughs> so it's just like crazy, man. And it's it's wild because you look at it and you think, all right, you know, how it like the girl from episode one and like our Angelis are like completely different people. Like when, like it's just. Like, even when she does manage to escape and go back, she realizes that everyone has, like, forgotten her. Like, there's no one, you know, there for her anymore. And it's just, like, a whole like a whole thing, you know? It's, like, yeah, the people who was on her team are just assholes. Like, it's, like, it's wild. Yeah. And and to relate this to an, uh, the vibe of another show, um, the whole kind of deal with, uh, Norma being the last line of defense against the dragons uh, really plays into an 86 vibe. Yes. Where the 86 are a second class citizen. They're not even considered human um, to the point where they are driving the robots fighting the uh, the unmanned things trying to kill everyone on Earth. And the camaraderie that comes with the, the situation they're in uh, is really what what's evident in the Norma as they try and fight the dragons just to keep on living, not even to protect everyone else, just to not die themselves. So yeah, let's let's get into this. Um, since we already brought up you know other shows that this has in common with, um, I would say eighty six feels like the most off the rip um one because that's the one that I kind of like looked into um the most. So, like, or not the most, the most recent is what I should say, um, was 86. Yeah. And like you said, you said that perfectly, the whole Norma compared to the 86 type vibe. Um, but another one that I really felt like encapsulated it was K 
kind of Evangelion. Like, you know, even though I feel like every podcast <laughs> something back to Evangelion. Because <laughs> they did it right the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 86 is by far the most common, I feel like. But um, Evangelion, it kind of shows like these people, like these kids, everybody's fighting kind of for a different reason. For Ray is her purpose. For Shinji is because he's forced to. For Asuka is to prove herself. And then we see um, Anjali's, she's fighting because, you know, it's all she can do. Satilla is fighting to, like, have a purpose. Hilregard is fighting to survive. Like, you know, it's just... And Ursha's just fighting to protect the kids. So it's like everybody has their own purpose, but they're all kind of being manipulated into doing this anyway. Not, like, necessarily by the people directly in charge of them, but by, like, the highest power. Like, they're not... Yeah. They don't know where their goal is. And Yeah, and, and that kind of... Uh, that upper echelon group of people that meet with embryo and are like the decision makers for the universe that's very much like a Saleh vibe mm -hmm. with uh with gendo and and you know kind of trying to control all of humanity with a small group and move towards human instrumentality that's the same vibe with uh, cross on where there's this group of, of individuals who are playing at being the ones in control until embryo, the true decision makers like, all right, everything we planned to build a new humanity, I'm just going to do it because I want to. Yeah. And fuck all of you who can't get it across the finish line. True, true. And Kogias was another one, man. I know we recently watched Kogias, and unfortunately, I had to be sick during we did that podcast on our other, um, you know, podcast. But seeing the comparisons between this and um, Kogias was also kind of wild because you look and you see, okay, we've got um, mechs, we've got like a dictatorship, and we've got you know, like a royal like kind of family and like. A big comparison, I would say, or difference would be the main characters. Like, that would be a big difference because Lelouch is kind of like, I got to save everybody. And Anj is kind of like, I got to save myself, which I'm like, I'm here for that vibe. You know, I'm here for the, like, I'm going to be selfish. And the byproduct of me being selfish is that you all live. So I'm kind of here for that. But, um, you know, the mechs, military, and universe, like the whole secrets of... The royal family and all this. I see that comparison. Yeah, the whole political drama focus mm -hmm. and and the the mystery behind the inner workings of the society uh, that eventually goes all the way up to the just the emperor, and then we get like supernatural fight with mech fight with with everyone trying to do their part uh, to keep shit from going totally south. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. That was interesting, but you had put now, Future Diary. I put Future Diaries in for a specific reason, and it's kind of the end of the show, right? Future Diaries is very straightforward with the plot up until the end, where everything goes entirely off the rails. Yep. And that's kind of what speaks to me with uh, with Cross Ange in relation to Future Diaries is it's like the plot is straightforward, 
but we just continue to progress and grow and grow until you're like, I didn't even expect us to get to this point. I didn't know this was a possibility. But here we are. And that's kind of what makes Future Diaries unique in its own right, is for me, there's two parts to this, right? The unrepentant fan service. Yeah. And a plot that continues to go further and further off the rails. Just when you think we've reached the craziest moment or the wildest moment or the sexiest moment, we take it a step further for more episodes. And that's really the the crescendo of the entire show is what makes it unique. Yeah, 100%. Like, I would... So something I want to say about Cross Ange, um, like... No, nah, I'll get into it later because it's like there's that's actually in the rundown. But um, no, I I agree. Like it's it's a whole experience, and I like I feel like for people like us who like kind of the weird, like not even the weird, but just it's like the mech, the like responsibility of mech anime to also be like weird and enthralling is crazy to me because like I feel like if this was like I'm not one to pay attention to the ratings. But, like, this is, like, something that, like, I, like, would, it's, it's something that I would say if I was just passing through, I would not give it a second thought. But it's one of those things where if I watch the first episode, I'm enthralled. And it's one of those things I feel like it's, like, it's like an onion. Oh, my God, I'm making a Shrek reference. But the more you get into it, the more addicting it becomes. So nothing at all like an onion. But... It's it's very, like, cathartic to watch after a while, you know? It's very, like, it's just something that I feel like is at a certain level for certain people. Like, it's not the universal, like, Evangelion. It's not the universal, like, 86 where they're both loved. I can see how this could be, like, divisive on both ends. But at the same time, I feel like there are certain aspects you have to respect. Like, even if you think it's, like, shit, it's, like, great shit that you might love and you can take away something from. And absolutely. I feel like that's one of the things that makes it like unique to cross and is like it's not something that I can just like like it's it's just like so unique. It's like I've seen it before, but it's just something special about it that I can't exactly like put my fingers on. It's like a whole experience. And I just want to root for Angelise as she goes through this. I just feel actual emotions to the characters. I feel like the characters are something that really, like, drives the uniqueness of this because they don't feel like the typical, like, tropey characters. They feel unique to the show. And also, because the show is so buck wild, it allows all the characters to have all these different types of layers. Yeah. And and they, they open with trope-style personalities. But we have time to grow, which that kind of plays into my... My whole point about do we need 24 episodes, which we'll get to, but really the character arc is you have to have somewhere to start with to connect with your audience, and then you have to take that somewhere, whether it's to them being evil or them growing or anything. You got to start with a character that people can identify, and then you have to make, uh, then you have to do something with them. Uh, so with our characters, Let's get into that. You know, starting with our main character, of course, Angelise, or as she becomes Onorma and grows into her own, she is just Ange. Yes. 
So Ange is not a princess. Ange is a fighter. Ange is a soldier. And Ange is also a... uh, uh, Norma. What the... A Norma. What's the word? Um, Not a traitor. Martyr? No, she runs away from battle. Deserter. Deserter, yes. Yes. She runs off like a motherfucker every time she has the opportunity. (laughs) She's like, nope. Not go fight your war. I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna do whatever I gotta do multiple times, and it's great. Mm-hmm. So, Anj is like literally probably probably one of my like definitely like my favorite character in Cross Anj, and I gotta honestly say probably one of my favorite characters on the mech genre. Um, just because of her development, it's like so crisp. Honestly, like she goes through and we see her kind of make her way from being you know the spoiled princess and the trophy character then she goes and we see her just become like a hard ass like that gradual change and it's not jarring but at the end she comes full circle to steal like she never compromises who she is her fundamental values at their core stay the same but it's like she kind of proves that like i'm just going to like reshape the world with that kind of like shonen protagonist energy but I don't feel like it's like kind of, you know, based on where we need her to be. Um, like, you know, it's like she is the plot does not dictate and just on just like character. Does that make sense? Like we don't get like in terms of comparing it to something like I feel like Naruto mm. is plagued by this because I feel like when we go through Naruto there are certain instances when we lose kind of focus on his overall goal because he's like, yeah, I got to go, you know, save Sasuke, like the whole in Shippuden. When Sasuke, you know, tried to kill the fourth Okage in XYZ, it felt really weird that he was going on a side mission to, like, defend Sasuke, and he was, like, sad. He was like, you know, the next time we fight, we're going to die and everything. It's like he prioritized that over his goal to become Hokage and protect the village and the people that he loved. Like after just saying that was his reason to like live in the pain arc. So that felt really weird. But we don't get that with Anj. You know what I mean? Like her motives yeah. are the same. How she goes about them, you know, kind of ebbs and flows. But her motives are always the same. It always feels like at the forefront is for her to be free and her to protect what she sees worth protecting, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the definition of what that is is the thing that changes. Yeah. Uh, and her her growing to understand the scope of of that and who is involved and who is not involved in that definition. I could I could certainly see that. Now, fair play to Naruto. We have five hundred fucking episodes to get through. <laughs> yeah. So yes, Naruto is going to go on a wandering path to get where he wants to be to become Hokage. Um, but yes, uh, Anja's whole story arc is is that of of having her comprehension of the world uh stripped away the hard way and then having to figure out how to parse and navigate life now as she comes to grips with not being who she was always told she was you know a princess of royal blood and now she's some quote-unquote non-human but that doesn't change her 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 bloodline which is important to the rest of the show yes right but she is also Um, a chosen one too like yeah whole ass if if she wasn't who she was like genetically Mm -hmm. 
she would not be in the position she is. And that's a point we see as other characters go on and struggle to be the number one. They struggle to be the chosen one, but because they are not chosen, they could never fulfill that position. Just like... Um, Salila? Sorry. Salia? Salia. There we go, Salia. Man, Salia's like top 10 down bad characters, I feel like. Um, <laughs> like, she's got character blue hair, or classic blue hair character syndrome. Like, you're never going to be the main character because of your hair color. Um, sadly. Damn. Um, but no, like, uh, dang it, pronounce her name again? Already. Salia. Salia, yeah. Salia is so down bad that she was literally, like, top chick commander, um, of the unit. And then Anj got to the unit and got, like, special mech. So she's no longer, like, the best fighter at everything. And then, like, she doesn't even get to be Jill's favorite like she was. That was her reason for living. Then she, like, goes through the process and almost gets killed. So she defects. And then when she defects, she's like, I finally have purpose. And then she still gets hoed because it's like, you're not even looking at me. You're looking at Anj. (laughs) So literally, Salia's whole life is trash. And her goals are trash because she'll never be who she wants to be. I did not like Sala. So, oh my God, Salia as a character. I mean, I okay, I liked her for her purpose in the story, but I didn't like her as a character. But I liked yeah. where her story went. Yeah, and and you wanna you wanna root for Salia to grow in the same direction that uh, that Angelise does because her whole thing is trying to manage her own goals and expectations of being the number one. And piloting the uh, oh god, what's the what's the main giant robot? Uh, um, piloting the uh, the the Vilkis. Yeah, the Valkis or Valkas yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, the Valkis. Uh, you know the the super special secret giant robot that you know no one else can pilot. She's trying to be the one to be the savior of the yes, end. which but, is a you know fucking lit design though. If I gotta say, yeah, the the circumstances of life dictate that she's not the chosen one. Um. So, you know, you want to see her grow into her own person and her own direction and her own skills. And as she's given the the command of the unit, you want to see her grow into a leader that accepts her shortcomings and helps the team go on to grow. But that's not how this goes. We have to have things continue to go off the rail. So we can't just be satisfied with that. We have to have a whole story arc about everything else. Yeah. Which eventually we'll get to. Uh, she defects and then goes on to be sad about her bullshit as, you know, she still isn't satisfactory. Uh, just like Hildegard, which which one is this one? Hildegard is Red Hair one, Hilda, who I actually really like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's kind of like a foil to Ange, um, much like um, Stalia tries to be, but is not. Um, Hildegard or Hilda as we call her during the anime, is kind of that character who, like, I will put her, like, trying to compare her to other characters is kind of hard because she's, like, she starts off as kind of like a... Bu- she's a Kuwabara. Yeah. she's She starts off as... Well, she doesn't start off as a Kuwabara. She eventually becomes a Kuwabara. Well, no, yeah, yeah, no, she's I would Kuwabara. Say you're, she, right, you're right. Yeah, she's Kuwabara yeah. because her whole plot is that she's a big-ass bully... And then circumstances dictate she becomes part of Anja's team. Yes. Like, numero dos. She is, like, 
on the same side. So absolutely, I would advocate she is a cool bar. Yes, and I feel like after Anj, I feel like Hildegard has like the best character development personally, um, because we see her go through like Wayne's. You know, she escapes the island with uh, Anj, and she escapes, and she basically has these two girls that she just kind of uses um, because that's how she saw and that's how she lived her life because she was used. And then the person who used her died in battle. So then she took up the mantle and started doing the same thing. So it's like a characterism of, or characterism, a characteristic of, you know, kind of imitating what you see to survive. But when the opportunity comes to escape with On, she takes it. They both escape and they both find themselves back on the island. Um, after finding out, you know, that the world is a cruel place, you know, just because they're Norma, they're like, discriminated against like her own Hildegard's own mother doesn't want her anymore and has replaced her with another child named Hilda like she had a second child and named her the same thing um, that was that crazy shit man yeah. where it was like Hilda rolls up and is like mama mom and then she's like and her mom's like oh you must be one of my daughter's friends okay cool come in we'll, we'll eat pie and we'll hang out and then she's like mom I am Hilda. And she's like, what? Couldn't be. Hilda's not here yet. And then we find out there's like a six-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. And that's what starts the mental breakdown between both of them. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's wild, bro. It is so wild. Like, And that all at the same time when Aunt is going through her shit where she's like, she's been been suckered into going to save her younger sister, but her younger sister's brainwashed into, you know, uh, being an asshole, yeah. In, in in modern parlance, and and it's all a trap to kill Anj, and then Anj escapes with the help of uh, Tusk, and that was a, cute, a fun, really cute scene. Hooray! Yeah, uh, relationships, and they all they both wind back up at the base, and it's like that's the uniting factor. Is they both escape, they both saw the reality of their lives and how Norma can never not be Norma. Uh, and then they come back and have to figure out, well, what do we do from here? And and I think that that was a really great uh, unifying moment of experience between the two. Yeah. And that made a lot of logical sense in how they proceed from here. Yeah. I thought it was like, I mean, because we get back and they're both like rejected and like they kind of are in it together because they're both like, hated by the rest so that's where i really come to like hilda um yeah and like so and it's and it's like really interesting uh for sure and then we get to tuss like you said tuss or no sorry then we get to, yeah let's just do Tuss. so yeah let's talk about Tusk. yeah tusk is honestly i feel like just there to be like eye candy and like the generic like love interest so <laughs> i mean tuss had a cool story he's like Really, the only male we see besides like, um, the brother really, um, do anything. Well, and an embryo. Oh yeah, embryo. Yeah. And and all of them. Tusk is plot relevant. Yes, that's a lot of what he's doing. He's there to be a love interest, and he's also there for like lore reasons. Yes, because as as things go off the rails, right. Mm-hmm. We not only find out, you know, we're fighting dragons, and we find out that uh, 
that dragons are people. Surprise. Um, we also find out that the current human race we have seen up till this point are all manufactured yes. and are all genetically modified to be able to use magic. And those people who were not, who, who existed before the genetic modification were called progenitors. Yeah. And Tusk is the last progenitor. His parents were fighting against the whole crazy bullshit uh, and they croaked. And now he's the last one. He's the last knight of the Vasil or Vasquez. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. Like his whole destiny is entwined to be with Ange as her knight. And that is played on very heavily. Um, but also, like you said, the story really goes up like two or three gears once he gets introduced because it's like, okay, like, you know, you can't use mana either, but you're not a Norma because Normas can only be female. So like, what are you? Which is weird that Normas can only be female. That's, I don't think that's ever really explained why. And plot, plot. Yeah, plot. That's why plot, <laughs> plot. But um, so she's like, you're not a Norma because you're, uh, you know, you're a male. So, what are you? And he's like, I'm one of the original humans. Um, but he's like technically a Norma ancient hybrid because his mother is a Norma. So I guess Normas have like children i don't know um but yeah no tusk is a really cool character he kind of snaps on out of her like you know just me versus the world vibe and kind of gives her like more perspective and especially once his backstory is revealed and it ties directly into like um jill and all that and you're just like wow we are really like out here right now so I really, I really liked him as kind of an addition to the story. Um, he, he wasn't there too much. Yeah. You know, right. he was relevant. He played his part, but he wasn't, you know, too involved. Yeah. He definitely made out like a bandit. Like he definitely took the OG prize of the series. If you know what I mean, you know what I mean. So. Yeah. Fan service gags, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it happened naturally. Normally, I'm not like a scene or I'm not like a fan of that type of stuff. But like, I felt like it was natural progression of like romance between them. Yeah. He was like sitting here on his like deserted island and everything. He was like, yo, like I can fix up your machine. How do you know how to fix the baskets? Mind your business. Um, And that was kind of like a... um. Kind of like a whole thing and something that kind of just kind of, I say kind of a lot, but something that like fit. But going into yeah. things that fit or things that didn't fit, like one of my like favorite secondary characters is Ursha, uh. who is, I guess, a part of the um, Salia faction, if we had to like pick factions. So she's inherently one of the people who are nice to Ange, uh, pink-haired girl. So, you know, she's got to have some type of privilege in the series. She has to be popular because i got to make that pink-haired quota. So she is one of the Salia factions, and she's very, you know, involved in the caring of the, like, young Norma. You know, she's like, I, I got to be, like, here for them and help them. It's very welcoming towards Ange. I feel like she might even be the first or only person who's like welcoming towards Ange, honestly. Her and Momoka as like a team. Well, Momoka's the maid. 
So. Oh, her and the uh, other one. Yeah, uh, Coco. Not Coco. Um, Lord, what is her name? Vivian. Vivian. Yeah, Vivian. yeah. Vivian. Yeah. 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 Um, but so Ursha is who's also a very good shot. She's she also defects because she believes that like you know, and her nickname is like Shallow Whore, which I don't really understand. Why? What? Yeah. So they all have like code names, you know, like everything. So Anj is burnt princess, idiot princess, breakout sister, all that. Like, um, they all got like names and stuff. Hilregard is uh breakout sister as well because she left. But um Ursus is like shallow horror, and I don't remember why. I think it's because after she defected. But anyway, so her whole thing is about protecting the children, and she feels like once the big battle happens and there's an invasion, like three of our characters are like kind of left for dead, and that's Ursa, um, Salia, and Chris. And Embryo, the big bad, saves all of them and is like, yo, let's live and stuff. So she becomes a knight of Embryo and like gets her allegiance switched to her because um, he revives one of the children that dies in the arsenal. He revives. Attack. All the children. All of the children, yeah. which was crazy. So this whole moment in the plot where the uh, the mainland, is, you know, all the humans are coming to kill all of the Norma. And they're like, we're coming to rescue you as a guise to just murder them all. Yeah. And they, the, the soldiers come in and they kill all the children and they open up with, with flamethrowers and it it gets off the rails, man. And then um, at at a point in, at this uh, this scene, Embryo rolls in and is like, "I've come to recruit." So he rolls up on uh, on Ursha and is like, "Hey, don't worry about it." Snaps his fingers, the kid's alive. And then, whoops! Now she's recruited into uh, being an Embryo soldier. Mm-hmm. And then she just be switching sides all the time, so I don't really trust her. But um, I mean. She has a singular reason for doing it. True. And that is consistent. Yes. Um, so, yeah, she's very consistent, but she can cons- consistently a rat. So, you know, but she's also one of my favorite characters. <laughs> I just, I, I, I take what I get. Um, so, like, it's very interesting when she switches sides because it's not like, you know, like she's doing it out of like, like you said, she has a very consistent reason, but like she just totally breaks when we see her on embryo side. Like Chris and Salia and her just become crazy, and we know that's like Embryo's effect. But when she like in the scene where she like quotes it and says, "You know, I'm an empty shallow whore with nothing to live for," which is that's where the nickname comes from. I remind it um, when she's like, "This is why I'm fighting." Um, it's like very. She's another character I feel like Hilregard that has that ability to like just have more of a focus on her, like because of like her interesting like premise that nobody else really cares about the children, so she's a device to care about the children. But yeah, when she switches back, it was fun because she's like, "Yo," like she straight up pulled up and was like, "I made mistakes. I'm stupid. Like, take me back." Yeah, which that whole scene, which I think we'll get to it later on when we get to embryo. Uh, we'll we'll talk about how everything goes terribly, terribly wrong for everyone else. Yes. Um. Let's move on to the commander. 
Yeah. Jill. So, Jill, like, she's another character who just from the beginning is, like, a hard ass. Like, we see her, like, violating Anjali's in the, like, second or third episode. And, like, she takes pride in it with her metal arm. It's like, yeah, you know, gang, gang. Um, yeah, and we find out more about her later as it goes because she's also very plot relevant. And we find out she was actually like kind of deceiving the whole group from the get go because she has this, she's planning like a revolt called Liberdas, which is actually really interesting. Um, she's been planning it for many years, and that's kind of why she's been like pushing the Norma and everything and kind of testing out to see who is like worthy of it. And that's where she kind of recruits um Anj into that because she can use the um Vilgus. So Yeah, and there's so much that comes with that. Like you've gotta be of royal blood, you've gotta have a special super secret ring, I guess. Yeah. And then you've also gotta like have passion. And and so there's so much behind it because Jill is also of royal blood. She's Princess Electra Mary uh Maria von Leo Um so like she could have been the chosen one. But when she tried to pilot the Vilkis, it didn't work and it cost her the lives of her friends and it cost her her arm. Yeah, so like I was curious. Was like so is she related to Anj at all or is she just another different princess? I think she's another different princess mm. because of humanity being so far spread. Um, the royal families are all, uh, you know, there's a reason they're royal families. They're of, you know, pure blood or whatever the fuck. Royal yeah. bloodline. Uh, and that royal bloodline, we find out, traces back to being of the original humans. Oh, my God. Let's get into this. Of the dragon world. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, so, yeah, no. Um. Also, Jill is just very, like, manipulative, and she was in love with Tusk. It's, like, Tusk's father, so. Yeah, that's a whole deal. So not only was she, you know, a Norma trying to live her life, and in, in cooperation with the progenitors, and fighting against the big bad evil of everything that was going on and trying to eradicate the humans. Um, she was also in love with Tusk's father, who was a progenitor, but because Tusk was married or uh, Tusk's dad was married and, and had a kid, that was a, a, a romance that could never be. Yeah. And it was very one-sided too. So then she like fell in love with embryo because she's like, well, you know, at least he cares about me. And then when we got there, we found out she couldn't really kill Embryo at the end when it came down to it. So, yeah. Yeah. But Jill was a character. Yes. The the kind of fall from grace as a badass, you know? Yeah. Now, I like Jill's character. And I kind of like how she went out, too. Yeah. Um. Now, we mentioned dragon people. Let's talk about Salamandine. Yes. Who is a dragon person. And that'll kind of open us up to the whole dragon world and how crazy shit gets from here. Bruh. So this was a huge turning point because we saw them and we're like, yo, where did the second Balgus come from? This is absolutely crazy. Like, 
how did this happen? Like, what's going on? Like, this is just kind of out of the blue. And then we see, like, the dragons aren't attacking them. So, like, there must be something going on with this. And it's like, nah, it's just kind of like there's a separate dimension slash universe. And that's where we're from. The dragons aren't evil. Like, it's like, I, I really don't know who the villains are, actually. Because the embryo. Em- oh, yeah, embryo. <laughs> Thank you. Because I'm just like, the, at the end of it. At the end of it, it all comes down to, it's just embryo. Yes. Like, ever, no one else is the bad guy. Yes. So, Saruman. Except the racist fuckers that were didn't know nobody, and then embryo. Yes. So, Salomon Dean is, like, the daughter of the royal, like, she's the princess of the second universe, which I don't think it has a name ever. Um, but she. It's the original Earth. Yeah. So, the OG Earth. And it's like she has the sister mech to Vilgus, which is Energo, Energo, or whatever. Um, and she's like, yo, Anj, I feel like a connection to you. And it's like weird because they like hit it off and she spares her a couple times in fighting. And she's also a dragon. Yes. Um, because everybody from that universe is a dragon. And like... I'm kind of here for it. Actually, I'm really here for it. Like, she has dragon powers and screams and stuff. So, we find out more about her universe. And we find out that the males are actually the dragon warriors that they're, like, fighting with. Because in that universe, after you, like, impregnate one of the females, you just kind of become a dragon. Um, Which adds to the craziness of it. I just love it, man. Well, well... No, all of the males after the catastrophe that caused Embryo to create a new Earth, um, all of the males turned into dragons to then cleanse the planet that they all fucked up. But don't they also, like, once they're born, become dragons? Because they're still males being born, right? I don't think so. Because we have this whole thing where Tusk goes to the new universe, to, to Earth, the original earth and they're like oh my god a biological human man let us in you know let us look at him oh yeah 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 yeah. because that's right they the females can turn into dragons and that's how they procreate okay i forgot but but the dudes are only ever full-time dragons yeah and i think there's like a fixed number of males so they can't yeah okay yeah yeah I love this series. Cross Anj, man. It's crazy. <laughs> I love this series. So, yeah, Shaolin's really our dragon girl protagonist who's like, I'm here for it. So, I I love the introduction of Salamandine because it comes at this point in time in the show that's very antagonistic. You know, we have her show up in her Ragnamail. and it's like, okay, what the fuck is this? It came out of the it came out of the portal. And now it's going to use some kind of crazy hyper beam. Mm-hmm. And that's when we get the like big reveal about Ange singing the song, like the endless song and that unlocking the power of the Vilkis. And then they like beam struggle for a minute. Yes. And in that they meet in the interdimensional universe and have like a passing conversation. I'm like, this is some Dragon Ball Z shit. 
it's it's wild, bro. And it's a whole moment. And like I, I absolutely love it, man. I absolutely love it. I could not be more. I could not be more like pleased with the lunacy lunacy that happens because the song is actually like. Her mother passed it down to her as a lullaby, so that means her mother's new of like the forbidden universe, and like it's just the whole thing. So I love it, and Salomon Dean is like probably I don't say Hildegard Salomon Salomon Dean and Hildegard are like tied for my second favorite character in this. Um, but now we gotta get to like the douche of the series, like Embryo, who has a very like. Let's let's quickly mention Momoka, oh, yeah, yeah. the maid. So just so we can get her out of the way. Yeah, Momoka is Anja's like fateful maid who used mana um to kind of let like Ange live in like um you know like kind of let her live in like obscure not obscurity like basically hidden yeah. that she had like these that she was a Norma. She was the one who always used mana for her under the guise of her being a princess. But Momoka was also the only real one who stayed with An, so salute to that. Not even, like, her own sister did that. And Momoka was... I thought Momoka died, like, multiple times, but she didn't. Shout out to Momoka. Man, that's a big question. What happened during that scene? But um, we'll, we'll we'll bring that back up yeah. in, a, in a bit. Um, uh, but I'm glad that Momoka, like, existed and was, like, a consistent character throughout and was, like, the only... Like, the singular person from, like, the beginning of the story to the end of the story was always faithful to Ant. Yes, and I'm glad she made it to the Dragon Universe. Like, shout out to everybody in the Dragon Universe. Um, But yeah, now getting to, like, the big douche canoe in the room. Um, Embryo, who is the big bad and kind of, like, the progenitor of all the world's problems in this universe. He created a false Earth. He manipulated and used a bunch of, like, the um para writers. He lied to and manipulated Jill. He forced himself upon Anj. Um, he did a lot of stuff, man. He like honestly, he did. He got a solid bad guy like uh, resume, man. Like probably one of the best yeah, man. anime. If I gotta be honest with you. If you, yeah, it's like take Gendo Akari and then give him supervillain hair. Like, what does a supervillain look like? He looks like blonde, long hair. Like, dressed to the nines that also sings. Yeah. Like, the fact that... He, and and just... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, the fact that this man, like, literally actually probably loved Jill and Anj, like, but was so narcissistic, like, was wild to me. Like... I don't think he loved anybody. I mean, like... I think he only loved Anj because he felt that she was a peer. Yeah. Like, you have been the only one proven to be able to use all the dragon powers and whatnot. You are fit to be up here. When she doesn't cooperate, then he's like, well, I don't need a peer then. I can make a peer. And yeah, it's a whole deal. Yeah. And like, he's like, speaking of like embryos, like savagery, like this man was so mad. Because he had set up the Julio, or he had set up the Julio, um, like, raid to kind of save and take Anj. But the fact that uh, Julio turned it, like, Anj's brother turned it into a massacre and killed all those people, 
This man got so mad, he stopped on from killing her just so he can kill her, him himself. <laughs> like, well, well, that was his attempt in that entire raid, right? Mm-hmm. That was his recruiting attempt because he got um, he got the other characters like that. He got Chris by showing that he's the only one who cared about her as a person after she got shot in the dome and no one else could go and save her. Mm-hmm. Um, he got Ursha by raising the kids from the dead. He got... Uh, Salia. Salia by being like, I'm the only one who gives a fuck about you romantically. And then he was trying to get Anj by being the one who murdered her, like, her brother. But that only served to piss Anj off more because she was like, how dare you kill my brother? Only I can kill my brother. Yeah. So. Yeah. That was a little fun thing. But Embryo's just been a big badge from the get-go. And is the origin of all the problems in this universe. So. Yeah, he was the scientist that decided that we should go and leave Earth-1 and make a new Earth with a new version of humanity that can use magic and that'll solve all of our problems. Other than the fact that the magic came from the stolen dragon from Earth-1 and the reason we're killing all of the dragons today is to fuel the giant dragon that fuels everyone's magic. Mm -hmm. Like, what? (laughs) Such a wild premise, bro. I freaking... Man, I love the show. (laughs) So... Yeah, so that's basically all our characters, which probably took a progressive amount of the podcast. Um, So that kind of just sets up for the crazy tone of this, which is like, it's all over the place. It's very fan service slash etchy, slash dark, slash like political. Like it is very much of a melting pot of like everything. Like, but it's mainly, I guess I would say sci-fi romance kind of. Um mecha politics i couldn't even i don't know i can explain this in like a way that like i could it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lot of things and that's to its success and its detriment yeah but but no they care but sorry good let, let's kind of let's kind of hash it out incrementally so as a mech show we have the paramel paramales and also the uh, ragnamales how did you feel about the giant robots in this show? Cool aspects. I loved it. Like, I feel like this is one of my, like, and that's what's something that kind of kept me going when I was having, like, the weird moments at first. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, the mechs, bruh, were so cool. Like, when Embryo had his mech, like, it hit. And he was standing on the outside. Yes, that was hard. <laughs> like, in his Ragnamel. Um, and then when he had, like, the kind of evil ones, too, that he gave to Chris, Salia, and. Ursha, that was dope. Um, their uniforms were dope as well. I loved like their quote unquote plug suits. Um, because I feel like even Miguel is the only <laughs> one that names the suits. So everything else is gonna oh be a plug God. suit. Um so yeah, and 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 I really like the concept of the paramail. Like that's gonna be something that sticks with me. I couldn't tell you the difference between a paramel and any other giant robot. Like from design wise, yeah. but the mechanics of it, like the, are were unique. Where it had a plane mode yeah. and it had a a battle mode where it was you know humanoid. I really and, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, 
And that was kind of like um, Macross or, or Robotech, where it had, you know, multiple modes. Yeah. Uh, but the specific feature of the Paramels was it was kind of a motorcycle type design in the mechanics, which also gave them an excuse to really feature uh, the enormous volume of fan service, right? Yeah. So I love that as well. I loved how it kind of played into Anja's like ability, like with like when she like rode the air bikes before. So that kind of explained yeah. why she was good at it, opposed to just being BS. Um, but no, Paramel's like top five. I would say top five or at least top ten in like mech type designs for me. I feel it. So let's talk about the plot. All right. So the the story gets wild and crazy. How did you feel about the plot overall? I felt like the plot was everywhere, but it worked. Like, I feel like because of the wild concept, it, like, worked. I love the plot of, like, this whole, like, you know, riches to rags to, like, liberator of humanity and figuring out self-worth. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, man. Um, I agree. It was kind of crazy cattywampus. The the variety and scale of everything just blew immediately out of proportions. But that's what made it work. It committed to staying true to its kind of principal vibes of fan service and like giant mech seriousness, and it kept that all the way from front to back. Yeah. Um. Speaking of fan service, let's talk about the plot. <laughs> so the plot I I really like it makes sense in the way that it's used it makes sense but it's also kind of mm-hmm. a lot like in this like kind of you know world of like femininity like in history and throughout time like the female body has been used like or been demonstrated to be what it is like something that's very like much of a work of art and I feel like that works here cause it's like it's a lot but it's not like super a lot, you know, like we don't see nipples, yeah. we don't see, um, you know, the extent of what we could see, but we see like the, like the suits are very form figured. Like we always see that Angelese is like, you know, very alluring in her like, like outfit as she just walks around and everything. Um, we see like a lot of like, you know, making out and like you said, fan service between the girls because this is like all they have. There's no men really in this time period and what i really like is i guess it's kind of like plot but it didn't feel like plot was the kiss between hilda and Ange, because like i felt like there was like legitimately something there because Ange hilda like was like i don't know what to do i have feelings for you but that doesn't make sense because the world is ending and i'm supposed to hate you and then on just grabs her and kisses her and she's like i need you in my new world order who cares if you have feelings for a woman? I'm like, I <laughs> just like, okay. Yeah. And I, I guess the, the kind of initial plot to, uh, relevance, you know, not, not fan service relevance, but plot relevance in fan service, um, is that in the human world, things like, um, uh, shame and, and body, disappointment there's a word for this that i'm missing um but you know covering up 
uh, modesty is is very much um, is very much a a concern in the the world as it is. But the the dra- the stark difference between the civilized world of humans who can use magic and and modesty is a concern, and the 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 stark difference between the norma as we see immediately it's all you know fan service and it's all nudity and it's all skimpy clothing because they have embraced the kind of uh the opposite of the world that has rejected them and that serves well for a show because you get to show all this kind of stuff but in in universe in lore i could certainly see that being the case where it's just we're going to have them be skimpy, not for their own protection, because armor doesn't do anything about dragons trying to consume you out of the sky. So we're just going to make it fun. You know, you're just going to go off in a bikini bottom and, uh, and you know, kind of uh, whatever we want you to ride this giant robot and uh, fight the dragons in scantily clad clothing. Uh, because what else are you going to do? Why waste the material? Um, and, and that's a very interesting thing. Uh, when it comes to the plot. The plot overall, for me, really sits as a fun thing to make the show interesting, but with the volume of fan service as it is, it's one of those things for me, I'm like, man, we could have committed like every other show that wants to do this and just shown me everything we've got. I agree. I can understand like not doing that for, for publication reasons and, you know, meeting a certain rating standard for for this to be released um but but for how much we see and we see damn near everything it's like uh just show me a titty one time no man. i feel that like dead ass <laughs> so and it's also weird because like if we're trying to conform to like the overall like oh ratings and stuff it's weird that we even have like the type of you know, relationships that we see and, like, the premise of, like, slavery and, like, all that. So I understand what you feel. But overall, I don't feel like that took away from it. But, like, I definitely would have yeah, seen it being incorporated. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some other things uh, we got going on with it as we as we start to wind this down. Um, so in this show, we've got... We finally get to Embryo being the big bad and being the big bad that's involved in a lot of the uh, the conflict. And in, in one of the scenes, Embryo can't be murdered, right? He's in the void of space and time, so his physical body cannot be harmed. Yeah. Or it can be harmed, but it doesn't do anything, right? So at some point, we see Momoka be manipulated because she is a person who can use magic and that means embryo can control her. But her, her love and commitment to Anj allows her to fight back against that control. And that's when she goes off and tries to kill embryo, right? She got a knife and she's like, I'm going to go kill embryo. Uh, that goes terribly wrong. Embryo stabs her and throws her off a cliff and it's game over. I think, I think she gets stabbed. I don't really yeah. remember. In that same scene... Tusk rolls up, cat like gets on, puts her on the bike, handcuffs her to it, sets it to autopilot, and then blows himself up. But like the next episode, we see Anj being sad and alone. And that's when 
tusk rolls back up out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this, right? How did you feel about that scene and then them coming back? So I felt like that was a dope scene, like a sacrificial scene. I legitimately thought both of them are dead. Um, And I think it's like explained with like light and mana from like Momoka, but maybe not. Um, And then in terms of like Tusk, I really don't understand how he lived through that, but I like—I guess it's one of those things where it's like all this other shit happened. So why are you questioning this? And I'm like, fair. Um, but I was glad he came yeah. back because, like, it kind of showed, like, you know, I ain't gonna lie. At first, I think I thought that he was gonna die and she was gonna be with Hildegard, and I was like, that's that's cool. But then when he came back, I was kind of like, uh, I was kind of rooting for Hildegard now. So this is awkward, <laughs> but, um. I didn't mind it, like, in terms of, like, what it was. I felt like it could have been executed better. Um, but I didn't necessarily mind it. Yeah. My my vibe is we had the potential to have two plot-relevant characters, death be another plot point. Yeah. That is, is important. Um, with Momoka, I was kind of cool with the explanation. Yeah. Oh, she's got a, you know, frying pan or... or pocketbook in her in her pocket that blocked the knife okay cool whatever cool we didn't get any explanation about Tusk. Yeah, so he's just one. like i blew myself up and now i'm here mm-hmm. and then they smash i was kind of cool with them smashing yeah and that kind of relationship going on but him coming back after all of that it was like and i was in the same mind with you you know okay he's gone that leaves Hilda as an option for, for romantic engagement. And and we get to see Ange process a, a very important loss in her life uh, that mattered after everything changed for her, you know? Like, that was a connection that she made. It was her choice. And then we get to see the loss. So we missed the opportunity there, but we were damn near at the end of the show anyway, so we didn't have much time for that to be uh, significantly impactful yeah. to see the growth. Yeah. So it was whatever. We got to see him smash. It was, it was all right. Yeah. Dude was like super crazy with like the guns and everything too. He was like a whole, he was a top ass villain or not villain, but like he was a top ass, like, um, espionage, espionage person. So I rocked with that a lot. Yep. Um, so something that I'm normally super hype about, which I was hype about with this as well. The music and the intros and, like, the world songs, bruh. Like, the music and this was fucking banger. I, I don't think I skipped the intro one time because it was just such a whole-ass banger. Yeah, man. The intro and the fact that it's the rondo of uh, Angels and Dragons where we have this song be relevant to this superpower mm-hmm. that unlocks the robot secret potential to use the kind of... Uh, ultra dimensional beams and shit um and and that everyone's song was different but it followed the same theme so they could all be sung together it was incredibly interesting to see how that worked this reminds me a lot of vivi yes like and that was one of the recommended shows that kind of came up when you like look at cross Ange. Vivi's specific focus is on music and the way that music relates to the characters where this is like, okay, this is a, a cool point we're going to put in here, but this is the only time you're going to see yeah. it. that and background music. 
Um, so I really liked it. I think they, they strived for something interesting and they got it, but music was only a part of the thing that made this show great. And I feel like the intro was like, very reminiscent of like early nine or late nineties, early two thousands. Like, cause we've got like the imagery of like the girls walking and like everything just kind of, kind of happen. Like the transitions between our old and our new self. And like the music itself is like very reminiscent of the 2014s, but like the intro itself, like kind of shot wise and everything was like really paying homage to those late 90s and early 2000 goat mecha animes. Like it's very sunrise, like super sunrise. <laughs> I could see it. Cuz like sunrise, you know, did cross on. Speaking so. of. Oh, I about to say I'm like I'm like wait a minute, who did cross on? Sunrise. <laughs> yeah, no. It's like literally <laughs> like, oh wow, that was another thing that made me watch it. I'm like sunrise did this? Like, okay. So, that's crazy. Yeah. Um but yeah, where does this rank for you? Like, where does this sit? Okay. So I put this at solid B tier for me. I think it was really interesting. It did its job really well. It was a crazy kind of story. But for me, it was very derivative of everything that came before it. This wasn't particularly groundbreaking for me because we, we see a lot of these tropes and everything we, we, we've related it to with Code Geass, with Evangelion, uh, me relating it to Future Diaries, uh, us talking about a show that came after it with 86, yeah. uh, that I think did this this kind of thematic thing uh, more significantly. Um, the show was really good, but it didn't do anything groundbreaking for me. I agree. So that's why I would put it at a B tier. Great show, great animation, crazy plot, but nothing groundbreaking. For me... I got to give it like I agree with the B tier. Like if I'm took if I'm looking at it analytically, analytic, analytically, and I'm looking at it like critique wise in terms of like a great format, I definitely wouldn't give it like you know towards the upper echelons. I would give it B tier as well. But on like a personal enjoyment level, it's like actually one of my favorite mechs, and I feel like I can only say that because the premise was a whole ride. I was not able to kind of predict where we would go next. Like, I saw the formula that we had of, like, you know, the Kogiasis, the Avas, and all that. But the good thing about that formula is it's so, like, lucrative and so, like, abundant. Like, the I feel like the literal guideline of it is just, like, just go batshit crazy. And the fun part is, like, trying to figure out <laughs> where it's going to go batshit. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I really enjoy like the characters. That was such like that was a real part for me. Like the characters of like Anj, like Hilbergard, and like those were like super fun characters for me. And like even Jill and like Salia and all that and Embryo just being a whole ass like <laughs> the fact that Embryo literally was like cool until he wasn't. Like he he only like lost his cool once, but that was when he died. Um so, like, just kind of seeing that kind of made it, like, really enjoyable for me. And I got to say, it's probably up there in my mechs. Like, probably one of my, like, favorite mech anime in terms of, like, just enjoyability. Like, it's no, it's not 86. Like, I feel like 86 has the potential to be a masterpiece when it's all said and done. Like, I enjoy Evangelion. Probably is, like, maybe my favorite mech series overall. Like, it's super good. Like, of course, I love the Gundams, but... 
This is definitely up there for me, like probably with the Gundams. Not like quite Eva in 86, but definitely up there. Yeah, man, I agree. Um, rounding it out with some standout moments that really, really stick in your mind when you think about Cross Ange. What are some stuff that, that screams, this is memorable? Man, okay. So Sylvia getting wrecked by Ange, being like, I knew you could fucking walk the whole time, but you're just so pathetic. <laughs> like, that was a huge uh, moment for me. Like, the fact that they went to go... Of course. Sorry, go ahead. Of course, Sylvia being uh, Ange's little sister who was put in a wheelchair after a horse riding accident with Ange when they were younger. Um, to suddenly get the, the, real, the uh, big reveal... That Sylvia was just milking that shit because you, you know, the whole thing there being, all right, Sylvia's handicapped, it's on just fault, quote unquote, and uh, then she turns into a giant brainwashed asshole. But to get this reveal about she's been able to walk the entire time. That's crazy. Plays into Sylvia being more of an asshole than just her brainwashing. Mm-hmm. And that was why. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the fact that, like, they went to the Dragon World and said, fuck the regular world. Like, they didn't try and save it. I thought that was dope. Like, <laughs> that was different. Um, of course, Tusk and Ange boning. Uh, Ange and Hilda kissing. I thought, like, like, not because of just, like, the kiss, but because of everything that, like, stood for. I was like, yo, that's dope. And I'm pretty sure, like, they went on to, like, have, like, a polyamorous relationship. I don't know. Like, there's a video game. Did they? <laughs> What'd you say? I said, did they? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Like, that was insinuated. That's crazy. So, yeah. Um, and, of course, Sala. I love that. Love the Ursa stuff. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good ones for me. What about you? Uh, I got to say the moment when Anja's mom died trying to protect her from, you know, the Normu, the uh, the Norma police. Yeah. And, like, Anja's mom being committed to protecting her daughter all the way up until the end. And it's like, damn, we didn't see anybody else do this shit. Yeah. Not that you really could when the Norma police are coming to pick up your child. But yeah, no, to see that kind of commitment uh, of protection uh, was really great. Yeah. And that kind of played into uh, some of Anja's motivation throughout the show. Uh, and the, the struggle in seeing everybody reject her other than her mom. Yeah. Um. Oh, also, and when like... Embryo turned off the mana. That was pretty fucking dope. Yeah, no, um, fine. Yeah, the whole every every time the plot escalates, uh, was really great for me. Um, you know when uh the the first commander dies, uh, because Ange goes crazy in her first fight, and then like the eyeball drops onto her. That was crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was wild. Um, yeah, every every time things escalate was was pretty great for me. It was. I I enjoyed it. It was a fun ass time. Um, really really standout moments for me is that the episode where uh, Hilda and Ange escape and they go off in their own directions and we get to see their story. Yeah, and and Hilda's whole scene about her mom re rejecting her. That was dope. And and both winding back up in the brig and not talking about their experiences of disappointment. Like, I really enjoyed that. Same. Yeah, no, it was... There's a lot of great moments, and I feel like 
everybody should definitely check out Cross Orange. So, um, ending. Did you like it? Like, were you satisfied? Well, everybody, Orange made it out. The three people Orange cares about made it out. Uh, Who were the three? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Momika, Uh, Hilda, and Tess. Exactly. Um, And they all make it to the Dragon World. Yeah, you know, ending, when you go this off the rails, the fact that it ends kind of happy. Yeah. I sure. still like I'm, that the I'm other world it. was fucked. That made me like kinda low key happy. And and I love that the other world was fucked and you see uh Sylvia, the sister who was who was supposedly handicapped, like finding a kid and saving her and being like, learn to fight for yourself. And it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like that was dope. I really enjoyed that. Like like, yeah. I feel like that's the overall yeah. message of Cross On. Just like learn how to be your own hero. Man, that's uh, that's so inspiring. Mm-hmm. Just like all the fan service in Cross On. Um, of course, we we here at uh, your typical show of protagonist have really enjoyed Cross On, and hopefully you'll enjoy the rest of our junk uh, on all your podcatchers, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Podcast at your typical show protagonist. Or on Twitter at your TSP. Kai, you got stuff too? Uh, yes, you can find me at Dreads on Twitter, where I'm out here tweeting, making the world a better place, and just doing stuff. Yeah, man. And you can catch the other product at Content Breaker on all your podcatchers. This month, we are currently in Gendy Tartakovsky month, where we take a look at uh, three shows that he has done. We're talking Symbionic Titan. Dexter's Lavatory and a third one I forgot. But all of that over at Content Breaker. I'm on your podcast. We'll catch y'all next week for more Your Typical Shonen Protagonist.